1: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McKusick, and we're back for part two of the discussion of the offense in that AFC Championship game lost to the Chiefs. And here again is Frazier Tafar. Frazier,
0: how are you doing? Doing good, Ken. Glad to be back for the second part of the show and break down some of these individual matchups we have.
1: Always a lot of fun. And one of the reasons I like having you on for the offense, Frazier, is you're you're an ex-guard uh, yourself, and it's, a, it's always a good opportunity to talk offensive line play. Uh, so maybe we start with that
0: uh, in terms of this uh, in this second show. Yep, and I think we can start with some of the allowed pressures we had. Um, we had one one point one seven. So what what that means is one point one seven
1: is a half plus two thirds. So it's not it's not some sort of made up number. It's one and a sixth mm. um, in total. But since I, since I uh, fractionally apportion these things,
0: uh, it can end up with a weird decimal. Uh, place in terms of uh, what it looks like. Yeah, so four pressure allowed, one half, and a half and two-thirds quick hits and one and a third sacks. One and a third yeah. sacks and then 41 pass plays and 32% aggregate pass percent pressure
1: rate. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the, the 32% is what we talked about earlier, 13 times. They pressured him. Of course, they also gave him ample time and space on a very high percentage of the throws, so 44% in this game. You take that every game. You generally win with it, and I don't think in any way that the offensive line can be blamed for what happened. In a lot of cases, we talked about this in the first case. There was When there was odd man pressure or extra man pressure, it was timed up quite well. They came through places where they gave the Ravens dilemmas instead of instead of decisions to make about how they do things. They couldn't block uh, everybody in a lot of cases. Sometimes it was because they rushed six and they only kept five in. But other other cases, it was times where they they rushed five and there were five blockers, but they weren't positioned properly to make any kind of stunt handoff to to get the extra rusher covered.
0: Yep, just well played by the Chiefs. I think they uh, had a really good scheme for this offensive line and what the Ravens bring. So with that being said, what did you think about Stanley's performance?
1: You know, I thought he, he finished off the game really solidly from, from my perspective. We went through it, and the first thing comes up is that he got beat, quote-unquote, by Omenahu for the for the strip sack. Mm. In truth, you know, I looked at it, I timed it out, and, and I've talked about this before, but you could do it with your DVR, if you have a DirecTV DVR, or any, I think, any DVR. If you hit pause, and then you hit fast forward, you generally will go ahead one- click or one frame at a time and the game is broadcast on cbs that's so 1080i that's broadcast in normal hd instead of the the 720p that you get on um, uh cbs uh, sorry on uh nbc for example and on, on 1080i it's 30 frames per second so you can, you can actually try this trick yourself sometime just be taping a game normally pause it start going fast forward wait for one second to click off the clock so you got to do it when the clock's running then go thirty more clicks, and you'll see that's exactly where the next second cl- clicks off the clock. And you'll all of a sudden you'll have a great, you know, I when I fa- figured that out for the first time, I was very excited about it because I knew I was going to be able to time things <laughs> uh, to, accurate to three one hundredths of a second by right. football, and that's that's very useful. So anyway, getting back to the Omena who strip sack, um, Stanley held up on his block for about three and a half seconds, uh, certainly over three, and the, the the pressure was still not there quite in three point seven seconds. Uh, gets a little dicey after that and then and then he 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 got the ball knocked loose. It was from behind, you know when I when I say that it was probably eight o'clock uh in the pocket if Lamar was facing twelve. And it's it was the kind of uh strip sack, first of all, difficult to prevent, but also one where where Lamar had an opportunity to move up um had he thought to do it, had he used his clock. One of the unusual things about the play is that Stanley normally mirrors exceptionally well. You've heard heard me say that many times. Interposes himself between the pass rusher and the quarterback extremely well. So if there is pressure, it's often a case of it, it. It's the bull rush that the defender needs to resort to, and that's much more. The quarterback can do a lot more than that. It's it's with that. It's it's frustrating. You know, the quarterback never wants to end up with his feet tangled up with the left tackle or worse, the left tackle pushed directly into his butt. But he, he could do something about that. Uh, whereas when once the defender, the, the you know, man who or any defensive end for that matter, gets his hand on the quarterback, that's usually a very bad situation because injuries can happen. Strip sacks can happen. Sacks are much more likely. Uh, just bad things can happen. And that's been something Stanley's whole career has been very good at avoiding. This is a play where Omenahu, who is a powerful and bendy player, got by him on the outside and just uh, it was what it was.
0: Yeah, I've been mean, uh, at an unfortunate time, but it didn't really cost the Ravens because they ended up getting the fourth down stop anyway. So it was okay in that sense. Can't keep relying on your defense, though, can you? Cannot. We cannot do that. we got to win an offense one of these days. But um, back to the mirroring, I think this is probably Ronnie Stanley's best game, mirroring. I think he had a couple, not highlight, but you can really tell like he was getting in a groove in the sense of not giving up any ground and being in front of the the, the pass rusher. He,
1: he was a lot healthier, I thought, Look, looked more flexible. Um, he didn't really have the opportunity to get out in space this way that he had had in previous games. He made some great blocks uh, against the so against the Texans, I'm, I'm definitely thinking against the Dolphins too, but he's been making some great blocks down the stretch out in space in front of plays uh, when I think it was against the Texans because the Texans bit completely inside on the read option where – not even a read option, on a play action boot yep. where Lamar booted left and Stanley got in front of it. Um, it's a uh, it, it's something where you, know, you really love to see the old Stanley at work on that. And one of the other things Stanley does very well in the open field uh, is line people up. And to see him be able to do that with his current injury and lugging around that brace and whatnot, um, very, very effective and very good to see. A little more detail in the game. One pressure, one quarter, one half a quarterback hit. Those are his only negative events in this game. Lamar also did run him out of one pressure. I took away his adjustment for that. Two missed blocks. One loss at the line of scrimmage. That's not bad at all for a whole game to have, you know, one loss at the line of scrimmage plus two others that that resulted in uh negative events. One block in level two, one pancake, made made his only pull, no highlight. B plus for the game. Over these last four weeks, I think I've flipped the the outcome of what I th- what I want for Stanley in 2024. And I wonder if you're in the same place, if if you were thinking four weeks ago, maybe he's probably going to they're probably going to have to bite the bullet, lose eight million, draft a draft a left tackle in round one and move forward without Ronnie.
0: Yeah, and I'm thinking I'm definitely changing my tone on that. Um, I think you have mentioned on the podcast a couple of times, this could be definitely a, a one year process. Being able to get as much value as Ronnie out of Ronnie, we can this year. It seems like he's on an uptrend from his recent injury history, and at least being able to play this out and have a development plan in place for a left tackle in the future, and also featuring the the rotation going into next year, that could be a aid into not wearing him out and maximizing his use yeah they 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 could certainly do that
1: um not like they want to do that yeah yeah they they don't want to do that and they, they want to do what they did in this game was basically he starts the game and he never goes except he did he had to leave the field for two plays in this game which you know obviously didn't have a big impact on his own playability he was fine in the second half um, but it might have been something with his brace that came undone. I remember Joe Flacco once had to leave because his and, and it was limping off the field. I was like, oh, what's going on?
0: but it was just he had to have his brace replaced yeah. uh and I was uh, there for that game too. That was funny. Yeah. I was actually freaking out. I thought he injured it again
1: <laughs> yeah, me too so uh let 's see what else we got uh same so way i'm 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 thinking two year plan on Ronnie Stanley, meaning he's here for twenty four and he's probably released prior to twenty five right um, and it, it does allow them to bridge into some additional draft capital, but I don't think they get away from drafting a guy who can play left tackle in this draft. I think it could be in the first or the second round that they do it, but I don't think it can be any later than that. Um, if they, if they want to get a a, a a truly high ceiling left tackle, I think they've got to draft him in the first two rounds. And you might get a very green guy um in in round two and and in round one, you probably also get a green guy. you probably get more of a traits and uh, and uh um minimal experience at the position kind of guy Coleccio semile a guy in the past they got in round two um michael orr is a is the kind of guy you might end up if you get an experienced left tackle in the first round late that that might be what you end up with that's not what the ravens want
0: yeah i think uh the main thing we're going to be looking for is someone who has had experience and left tackle their whole life and not looking for athletic freak like we did with uh Falale. Looking for someone who has sound technique and be able to be that anchor for Lamar. Uh, Ronnie fit, fit that mold at the time. Someone from Notre Dame, sound technique. Maybe not the strongest guy, but being able to mirror effectively and be be a pro and efficient at what he's good at. And I think that's what we're going to be looking at moving forward for this draft.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I think they they probably are going to have to make a choice. The guy the guy you're talking about is goes at the top of the first round. A guy exactly. who's played for 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 his whole life at left tackle. He's Joe Alt, you know, mm-hmm. at Notre Dame is. I mean, he's going to go in the top ten picks. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe in the top eight picks. Um, you know, he, he's going to go very early. There there isn't. Uh, uh, there isn't a guy without warts by pick number thirty <laughs> who's left. So he's either he's either had some trouble in college playing left tackle, or or he's um, he's had some uh, issues with learning the game recently. Or he's got some other negative quality that other people don't want to take a chance on, and you know short arms would be one. Or he doesn't oh, quite that. have the build they expect, or you know any number of things. But you, you're you're going to end up with somebody who's got warts on him. Number six overall, you get Ronnie Stanley. Number thirty overall, you get somebody else. Third round pick, you get Orlando Brown. Yeah, well, that would be great if they if they could figure out where other people are missing <laughs> that badly. But uh, but anyway, that uh, that would solve
0: it. One of the tackle problems, anyway yep so with uh with that what did you think about Simpson's game
1: yeah this was not good Simpson had his seventh consecutive game at the D level uh, one thing I'll say is he's been remarkably consistent I've, I just I've never cannot remember ever seeing this before where a guy got seven consecutive games <laughs> in the D range and at, at first last week I had him I had him as an F plus he basically was was at the very top point one point short of scoring and then I, I noticed I'd actually made an error on my sheet. Wow. And underscored it by two points. And, and he, all of a sudden, he's in the D-Range. Well, wow, that makes sense. <laughs> 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 so, uh, but I it's anyway, seven consecutive and eight out of nine, he's been in the D-Range. One pressure, two-thirds of a quarterback hit in this game. And he had another holding penalty. And yeah. here's another element of John Simpson consistency for you. John Simpson, his career in Las Vegas, had one penalty every 95.4 snaps. Okay. And if you look at them, it's a whole bunch of holding calls, a couple personal fouls, and a couple false starts. John Simpson in his Ravens career, remember 95.4 at Las Vegas, has had one penalty every 95.5 snaps. Insane. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And it's been the same mix of penalties. I'll I'll actually bring this up now because it's worth kind of figuring out what they have. So you go
0: to. What's the sample size for both?
1: Uh, sixteen hundred and twenty-two snaps, I believe. With with um, okay, I'll get you. I'll get you the number exactly. Um, I believe it was sixteen twenty-two. And in terms, of, I have scored snaps here. Well, let's use the PFF snaps because they're they're going to be the same on on both sides. Compared so if we look up John Simpson here, and bring him up, is okay. Got to go to offense. And, Year, So he's had, yeah, that's all, that's all just past blocking snaps. Go one more time. Okay, 1,242 snaps this year with 13 penalties. And he's had uh, 1,622 snaps with 17 penalties prior to this year. So it's not even that, mu- that much different in terms wow. of, you know, he's about four-thirds as much playing time as he had this year in, in his previous career combined. Okay. So, so yeah, right on okay. average, actually. Yeah, wow. it, it, you know, it's, a, <laughs> it's just that so it's so, occasionally you see something that's just freakily like level in it's, its statistics. And this is one of them in terms of John Simpson. I think this is what the Ravens hoped would not happen is I'm sure they thought we can reduce his penalties. And to give you an idea of how significant it be, if they could have cut his penalties in half, which is probably too much of an expectation. He lost 63 points in penalties this year. If instead he'd lost 31 and a half, okay, I'm going to do this here, 885. Uh, or, oops. 885 plus, and I divide that by 1176. He would have been up from a, instead of a, a 0.75 for the year, which is not particularly good at guard, he would have been up to 0.78. Probably would have been at the upper end of the C, probably would have been like a C plus season. Uh, wow. and as it was, it, it really was about a, a D plus season for him. Uh, he's he's never had an F the entire year, it's, it's been, it's you know, just been seven straight games and eight out of nine in the D range that have basically defined his season. So, uh, it's not like he's not trying, I don't believe that even for a second. He's, yeah. I, I, I it, it's just the coaching for whatever reason is not taking in terms of figuring out how to, how to have the guy avoid holding penalties and the ones that occur on pass blocking plays. I'm not even sure there's a lot they can do coaching-wise because he's really getting beat on those plays. The ones that were were very frustrating is on run plays when he gets a holding call because he lets the guy get outside the flame it, frame and he's still holding on to him in the way that you know we normally think of holding penalties typically accruing.
0: Yeah, and he was getting manhandled by Chris Jones and it was mm-hmm. evident. Uh, he got the one holding call on him. Uh, it was... I'm not What's too sure. Go ahead. I, I just, I just wondered if I thought it was on Wharton. No, it was on Jones. You're right. You're right. Yep. He went right through on him and uh caused Lamar to throw the ball away quick and have the incompletion. So I don't know. Obviously he's not going to come back next year unless you think otherwise.
1: I, I you know, I, I actually think he might be back for depth and it's, if let's kind of examine this scenario and we want to do this with a few players in the second show. Cause it's, it's part of what we got to be thinking towards right now is how's the Ravens guard situation going to look? I, I don't, you know, if, if they tag Matt as I expect, I think by the time they get back to being in even in position to make him an offer, I think he's already off the market. I think somebody else will sign him by then. And that's probably true of queen of stone of a lot of the guys who they, yeah. you know, it, there's no, you know, honestly there's no realistic way they can bring back Patrick queen. Um unless they, they the market couldn't. just says no. Unless the market just says no? Yep. Well the market could say no, and the market could still say yes at okay, let's pick a number that the market's definitely gonna say 12 million. Okay, they might they might say no to 18 million, yeah, but they're still gonna say somebody is gonna blow the is gonna pull the trigger at twelve million. And well, the, the ravens, ravens say aren't, no at twelve? The ravens wouldn't do that.
0: At twelve million?
1: No. Wow. Well, mm. I just I, I don't see that as a as a practical um solution. He, he's a good player, but the but the issue is that you know you're just spending too much money at inside linebacker at that point, And That's you true. gotta be careful with every dollar you spend
0: at that point. Yeah. Uh
1: and and you know if if the choice honestly is Queen at twelve million or Matabike at seventeen or eighteen million. I take Matabike. Yeah, I take Matabike. and yeah. uh, I think it's a pretty easy choice. And the other thing is, the Ravens have been very adept at platooning at that position, and I think they have some of the personnel on hand right now. Simpson, that, yeah, that well, they have Simpson on hand certainly, and they, they use yeah. draft capital on him, but also to to um, play dime when they if they if they want to use somebody different on a high leverage yeah. snap, you know, get a safety in there. Could even be Hamilton. Uh, yep. in terms of, of that role. So, uh, anyway, I, 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 with Simpson, I think getting back to him, I think he could be back. I think he, if he does come back, he's pretty close to the vet minimum. If, if uh-huh. he does, I don't think he's a guy that is going to excite the rest of the league. Offensive line is in short supply. So maybe someone gives him a two year deal for 4 million. And, you know, they're looking for him to come in and provide some solid depth for them too. not out of the question. I think the Ravens will be judicious about the dollars they spend on him, but it wouldn't surprise me if they wanted him back for depth.
0: That's fair. Yeah, I think uh, more so, I'm, uh, I'm tired of the patchwork at offensive line. I really want to figure out the answer because I think, I don't know if I said this on the show before, Lamar doesn't need weapons. He needs a wall in front of him. If you give Lamar a wall, we saw what happened in 2019. I think we had Seth Roberts, Miles Boykin, and what's Willie Sneed as receivers. I think that's self evident in the way that Lamar is able to carry the team on his own. And if you can give him ample time and space, the opportunity to read the field and make decisions and get out if he needs to, that's where your offense flourishes at not spending all this money at the skill position that you need to build the team from the inside out
1: what it took in terms of the other positions in terms of having all pro players in in um actually i guess Orlando brown i'm not i'm not actually sure if he may he was all pro that year but i think he went to the pro bowl yeah um and and stanley and yanda of course (laughs) uh, uh at that point still uh still playing at a very high level um, that's an awful lot to ask for in terms yep. of having that good line. But you're right in the sense that Lamar may do with very average receivers. And I think this was this was something that I kind of latched onto. And I, in retrospect, and seeing the way the Ravens' offense worked with better receivers, I think it's fair to say that you're taking a big chance if you completely bank on your offensive line to do the job for you. And when they did again in 21, you know they had an injury to Stanley. Mm-hmm. and Alejandro Villanueva was not the answer, um, and whoever they played at right tackle, which was a whole bunch of different players, didn't work out either, right. um, you know, then, then it, it it really becomes a, a pretty much of a mess. So it, it's, it's kind of like depending on your three-down weak side linebacker, if you're really depending on that guy to play every down as, as a huge functional component of your defense, and you're paying a lot of money to do it, you're taking a big risk. Because if, if that guy gets hurt, then you're you're uh, uh you lose a lot of uh cap expenditure. Uh in the case of Queen, you lose a lot of draft capital expenditure too. Yep. Yep. And you uh and you you don't get a good return on that. So anyway, it uh, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if he's back. But I understand your your desire. I mean, to me, the not having a patchwork offensive line means having a fairly continuous offensive line. And you know, with all the things that happened to the Ravens and some of the stuff with Stanley and the fact that they were rotating at tackle, some I would say continuity was one of the big strengths of this line. I mean, they played together most of the time all year. They knew who was going to be at those spots, even when it was some rotational play. And the three guys in the middle basically played yeah. almost every single snap. Saitler missed two games, but but uh, but they played most of the snaps.
0: Yeah, the, the front the front part of the line was definitely the most the most. Prepared of the group uh, going in. I think uh, Linderbaum is definitely someone who I think can go down as one of the Ravens' greatest centers of all time uh, next to Matt Burke. I think he's definitely one of those guys. uh, His size can matter, but it really doesn't matter for him. I think another year with Linderbaum developing – getting into the gym, being able to work with Lamar and have his technique just take to another level is going to be crucial for him.
1: Let's move on to Tyler, because obviously I had a great pass-blocking season, which is something, you know, I, I said this a couple of times on the show, but people just don't get it if you don't understand how much Tyler Lindebaum improved Yep. From year one to year two is one of the most significant improvements on the entire team, along with Stevens, in terms of, of a player who just surprised massively on the upper upside. And maybe it, to some people, oh, I wasn't a surprise. I knew it all along. Well, he was he wasn't that good last year is what the what the real problem was at PFF with their weird weighting of pass and run blocking made everybody think he was. Yeah. So it it didn't uh uh it didn't really make a lot of sense. But anyway, I had another solid game here. One pressure, run out of another one by Lamar, which caused him to lose his adjustment on the game. Three missed blocks, one loss at the line of scrimmage. Not a good mobility game for him. That was a function of what the Ravens were doing. They were they weren't running the football, so you don't get a lot of opportunities to make level two blocks when you're not running the football. Can happen on a screen pass, but mostly it wasn't happening. Zero level two blocks, two out of two on pulls. one pancake, no highlights, B for the game uh finishes off a solid season he is ahead he was ahead after one year in terms of where you'd hope he'd be starting off as an nfl center who's undersized and he's way ahead after two years in terms of where you expect him to be so very positive uh in each of the uh you you know with each of the relative performances of this year and and i think there's still growth for him I, i because his growth was so massive as a pass blocker from year one to year two I think it is possible he's going to need to consolidate those gains. So it may be that Linderbaum is just as good as he was this year, another year. Now most people they don't really look at offensive line play all that closely, and they're going to see Linderbaum probably make a Pro Bowl again next year. And they're going to think, well, you know, he's a Pro Bowl before, he's a Pro Bowl after. When's he going to make All Pro? Is it? I mean, the truth of the matter is he he's going to need to make he's going to need to consolidate the gains he made this year, which means he's got to he's got to probably. Play even a little bit better, probably against a few more bigger men this next year. Make sure that some of the Ravens' problems at guard that are certain to be happening, because there will be growing pains from having new guys at guard. Whether it's whatever combination you pick out of Simpson, Cleveland, and Voris are playing guard for the Ravens next year, it will create pressure on Tyler Linderbaum to need to be better than he was this last year to have the same kind of outcomes that he had. So uh, I, I hope people aren't expecting the moon from him next year. I think he, 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 he probably will improve with, with still maybe allowing a few more pressures than he did this year.
0: And another big step that he took this year is leadership. Um, and it's evident when you listen into to a broadcast and you hear him chirping at the line, picking out calls and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I'm going to be king in on that next year, continuing to see that growth and him and Lamar are literally talking at the line of scrimmage before the play, making sure we're on the same page, and never having miscommunication. I think that's the, where he can continue to grow his game, and with the technical aspect continuing to grow his football acumen, it only makes him a better player because he can work harder. I mean, work... what is it? Smarter. Or not harder, not harder, exactly.
1: <laughs> and and you know what you are you, you are exactly on the money with that because if you look if the, if the Ravens without Kevin Zeitler who is the North Star the snap caller all of the things he does with that and he doesn't call it the protections hmm. but he he, he he initiates the cadence with the tap on the uh, tap on the thigh when they're having to run silent and whatnot. Um, I, I I don't see another way other than Linderbaum taking a pretty great leap forward. And being the general line, the, the line general that he needs to be um, for 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 the, the Ravens' line to have as good, nearly as good a year as they did this year, even if Vorys, you know, shows all of the things we expect him to be, and you know Ben Cleveland all of a sudden breaks out in year four, and you know he looked pretty terrific at the end of this year when he got playing time. It's yeah. not impossible. He's going to go in there and be a very powerful right guard, but I think he's still going to have problems as a pass blocker. He's still going to have you know things that that frustrate us probably, and and probably have some things that that make that right a gap now, where the left a gap was the one this year, be the really h- heavily targeted um, gap along the Ravens line that Linderbaum is going to have to do extra to uh, make sure is
0: not exploited. And I'm confident he will. I think uh, him and Linderbaum, I mean uh, Linderbaum and Zeitler were the keys to the offensive line being successful this year and uh, with that being said what did you think of how Zeitler did this game
1: yeah I I finished on a strong note unfortunately this might be his last game as a Raven it's a sad way Uh, Zeitler also has never played the Super Bowl Uh, I did hear after the game that he's made the Pro Bowl as Joe Tooney's replacement Mm -hmm. Um, obviously Tooney wasn't going to go to the Pro Bowl because he's going to the Super Bowl now but Tooney is uh, uh, was out because of the injury as well Um, it's it Great finish to his career. He's the greatest lineman of my lifetime, never to make a Pro Bowl until this year. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a good story for the end of his career. Very happy for him. And uh, uh, this game, he went out very well. One pressure, two missed blocks, one loss at the line of scrimmage. One out of one on poles, one block in level two, no pancakes, one highlight combination block. Weren't a lot of highlights in this game, folks, because there wasn't a lot of moving to level two to get combinations. There weren't a number of really clean stunt um, pickups because there weren't that many stunts. It was mostly blitzing. Right. Um, it's just it, there, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for highlights in this game. Zeidler got an A. Uh, he's been on an incredible run since London. So I think about how long ago London was and, and the, and the set, set of games he's had over that period. Um, it couldn't be happier for the guy he's going to, I think he'll get really paid this year, uh, be good for the Ravens in terms of a draft pick, but it wouldn't surprise me if he signs for, you know, three years and 35 to 40 million, uh, still he's, he's, he's an older guy, which is nobody wants to be caught holding the bag on the back end of that. But on the other hand, I think he's, he's one of the surest bets to perform in 2024
0: of any of the Ravens free agents. Yeah, tough to see a guy like Zeitler go has been a staple of the offensive line since he's gotten to the team. I think out of all the people other than him and Linderbaum that we've had no really I haven't had one complaint about Zeitler. So going from Yana to him was definitely a transition that was the most smoothest. Smooth AF, as they call it. Yeah, Great, great signing by EDC. Great, yep. great, great signing. Yeah. Uh, so with that being said, what did you think about moses
1: yeah a- another solid game out of moses moses has had his games vary in a fairly small range he's been almost all in the a through d range with the a little heavier weighted towards the a and b number a and b component i don't get worried about that by the way because there is a fair amount of variation in play game to game between offensive linemen and yeah uh, if you if I know there are people who think that shouldn't be the case somehow, but you know you have tons of at bats as an offensive lineman, but you still have relatively small sample sizes in individual games, and if you give up big negative plays, that ends up impacting your score, and that's uh, you know that's the way it ought to be. So in this game, um, Moses was party to two sacks. One was full where he's beaten outside by Karlaftis, and the other one he was bullled by Aftis, uh to to phone booth the pocket on one end up be a sack. Uh, Lamar ran him out of one other. Uh, pressure for which I dinged his adjustment. One level two block, zero pancakes, no, zero out on two on poles, one highlight. Uh, that was very early on in the game, by the way. He, he had a great maintenance of push. I think it was, yeah, it was on the Edwards 15 yard run. If you want to take a look at that, this each each of the players have two offensive line that had great plays on that. Simpson had a cycle block, as Maureen and I call it, on, the, on that play. So he pulled, connected on his pole, in level two, and pancake the guy for a highlight. That's that's doing all of the things we can possibly score on a single play that are positive for for an offensive alignment. <laughs> okay, and and uh, Moses had ten yards of push on TerShawn Wharton, and this was that was a point in the game where you think, man, this is just exactly what's supposed to happen. You know, Moses at three hundred and thirty plus pounds is pushing around Wharton, who is two ninety soaking wet. Needs to do against the Chiefs, and unfortunately, they just they just didn't keep doing it. They didn't stick with it, and that's some of the frustration that Frazier and I went at, uh, over in length in part one. But we won't do it to you again in this in this second part.
0: I'm pretty sure that's the play. Him and uh, Charlie Kohler emoted on how big of the run that was in the moment yeah. of the game. Yeah, that was to me. That was a big run. The stadium felt like it was a big run. We ended up scoring on that drive, so it was successful. But just tough to not see that continued throughout the game um i think we talked about this on the show i know i've talked to you about this off air i do think moses is slowly showing decline i think i know that he's graded well through pff and the way you grade offensive line um the things that do make me worry about him is that in high leverage moments, he tends to get beat and it doesn't look pretty when he gets beat. I just... uh, I don't know. His run blocking is great, especially when we're running downhill and it's pure power. I like it when Moses is out in space and is able to get on his blocks, but when he's in a mirror and reactive situation, he has a tendency to just get it to the cone and be a non-factor after that and i don't think that's gonna be able to cut it stanley this game showed blocking beyond the cone and his mirroring and that was the big key in having ample time and space and he was doing on his own i think when moses was doing it he was getting a lot of help from zeitler because of the three-man rushes and with the spies and all that so Moses is definitely going to be on the team next year. I think to what capacity he continues to keep a starting role all the way through is the question.
1: Okay. This is interesting. I I would definitely take the counterpoint on this Mm -hmm. and he's had three bad games this year. So week one, he, had a bare, he didn't fail. He, did, he didn't have any failing grade the whole year, which is that's really good for an offensive lineman because most most players do get one. We mentioned Simpson didn't have one either, though. So it's not it's not <laughs> sufficient. It's just it's just good. So in, in the in, in the first week against Houston, Will Anderson took him to the woodshed a little bit. He scored a point fifty nine raw score, which would be failing, but he had an adjustment which pulled him up into a passing grade. Then in week fifteen. Yeah, 15 at Jacksonville. He scored a D minus, exactly exactly the minimum passing grade. Um, I don't think it was Josh Allen who did it to him in that game. I think it was the guy on the other side, and I'm trying to remember who that was. So I don't think it was Josh Allen anyway. But anyway, th- the third game he had trouble was versus Pittsburgh in Week 18 when he got T.J. Watt. And he he, he had a .54 raw score, but his adjustment took him up to .62 Um quality of opponent is everything uh in some of these cases frazier are you there or do i have to i have to add you again sorry sometimes we lose somebody for a second if they have a internet connection problem but frazier is back with us yep so just talking about the the three bad games he had i think you probably heard that backstage is uh were against jacksonville against watt and against Willie anderson uh any any you know good games against players like zadaria smith Actually, didn't play in the second. Darius Smith game and C minus in the first. So I better take that back. <laughs> he, had, he had a A against Cincinnati, A against Houston. Sorry, A against Cincinnati, A against Indianapolis, A against Arizona, A plus against Miami. They they were down some pass rushers, and then an A last week against Houston in the uh, play in the playoff game. So, you know, overall. To to me, he's he's the least of the Ravens' problems, and he's the most. um, uh, The Ravens are most able to take a two-year position on solving him with with Stanley. I don't believe you could be without a left tackle for next year. A guy who's the next left tackle, but you know, one thing you could do is you could have the next left tackle for 2025 be your backup right tackle for 2024 he could also be a backup or even starting guard for 2024 if you want to go that way but they better get left tackle characteristics out of that i want a guy who truly has the feet to pass block i don't want somebody oh this guy can help as a guard or tackle or whatever and that's like basically trying to s- solve your starting pitcher your starting rotation problems by picking up a bunch of relievers
0: when you do yeah that. uh doesn't work yeah and i and i'm not a fan of uh us doing the line carousel with a bunch of guys that we're drafting i think if we get a left tackle, I don't want him moving into right and trying to switch his full work and all that unless it's dire situation emergency. I think if we draft a left tackle, we need to develop him as a left tackle. Yeah, um, We cannot mess with another lineman's career at this point. We need to keep it as is.
1: I, I'm with you on that. It, it certainly didn't work out for Michael Orr. Mm. Like that, uh, and and he moved. I I think basically Michael Orr looked like he could be a borderline Hall of Fame right tackle when he entered the league, and then they he he got in his mind that he had to play left tackle to get paid, and Orlando Brown you know went through the same thing. Yep. Um, either of them could have been a, a you know, a, a borderline Hall of Fame player. But as soon as you looked at Ora's split just from his rookie year, when he's forced to play a little bit for Gaither at left tackle, um, he was terrible when he played there. And he's good when he played on the, on the right side. And then his second year, um, there, was, there was less play, I believe, at left tackle that year. But then the third year, they came to camp. they tell, or, you know, basically wanted to move to left tackle and they let him do it because they were pissed off at Gaither about his work ethic. Then Gaither did one truly unforgivable thing. He came up with a fake injury and claimed he couldn't play because he didn't want to play right tackle. And they sent him off to, uh, got rid of him, you know, after, after that year, I think he might've spent the year on injured reserve, but he didn't play anyway. And, and he ended up going to, uh, Uh, San Diego and swindling them out of $24 million uh, with four four games of good play at the end of the 2012 season or 11 season, I believe. So uh, it was a, it was a pretty, it was a, he he was a pretty much a throw his own career down the toilet. He just marched to the beat of a different drummer. Couldn't be told what to do. He's baseball's version. If you're my age, he is baseball's version of Earl Williams, this 1970s catcher for the Orioles. who just could not get out of his own way had real talent, just could not get out of his own way in terms of being a, a, a complete lousy teammate at the uh-huh. time. And I, I, it, it really, it had happened already at Maryland. It was the reason why he was available with a fifth round supplemental pick. Um, and he was, the problem was he was great when he's on there at left tackle. And if the Ravens hadn't screwed with him with a Michael Lore situation and just left him at left tackle, he might've been okay. Or he might've been okay for a while or he might have been okay for a while signed a big contract with the Ravens and then screwed the Ravens. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not sure how I feel about the whole thing in terms of
0: him him going. I think he was right tackle or it was right tackle for the Super Bowl year, right?
1: Um for the for the Super Bowl run he was, but right. but that Bryant McKinney was brought in and Bryant McKinney had all kinds of work ethic issues himself. Supposedly he played himself back into the lineup with Harbaugh and out of Harbaugh's doghouse as the year went on. They moved McKinneyan at left tackle, moved Orr to right tackle, and mm-hmm. Colucci Osemily is at right tackle, moved to right guard, replacing Reed and Harwood. Left and, le- sorry, left guard. That's what I meant. Replacing yeah. Reed and, and Harewood, who were some players who had really hit, neither had worked out, and Osemily was really the 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 best of the three in the postseason.
0: Yeah, for sure. Assembly was crucial. I know Ja Reed was not the answer, at left guard.
1: Uh, <laughs> he, had a, he went to Kansas City and was pretty good, but uh, but yeah. All right, let's 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 keep going on this. I think we're done with all the plays. McCary, I'll just say two out of two snaps. Um, uh, he'll, he'll be around in 2024, obviously. The one thing I want to say about McCary is I want to see him stick at left tackle as the backup there. I think we're past the point where there should be any question of putting him in at a different position for any reason other than to get through a game, but there should be no attempt to make use of his versatility because he's too important as a backup left tackle right now,
0: yep, and he's shown this here that he could be serviceable, and we need to keep him in a bubble wrap just in case yeah uh
1: Ben Cleveland, one play one block, um you know he had two near full games played. Basically, a uh, you know two full games on the season. I'll give you a total number of scored snaps I had for him. But one of the things about Cleveland's game is he really scored just about as well as anybody on the on the on the team did for the whole year. So Zeitler was a point eighty one, Linderbaum a point eighty four, but Ben Cleveland and 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 by the way, that's a, that's approximately equal because the the guard and center have about that much differential in terms of the grade levels. Um, but but Cleveland a point eighty four at guard outplayed Zeitler on a per wow. snap basis in fewer snaps. Admittedly, he basically played about three full games. Some of that's as a sixth offensive lineman, so you might discount some of that value. But a fair amount of it's just at guard, and uh, and that was a you know a heck of a, a run. He's he has basically in my mind earned the right to fail, meaning he should be the def- the. Um, uh, presumptive starter at one of the two guard positions next year. I don't know if that's the way it's going to work out, but again, year four, there's a good reason why you want to have him show what he can do in year four, because you might get a comp book in exchange, but, but even if you don't, hopefully you get a really good year out of the guy and, and he and he plays the best he can. I think that's pretty much what happened with John Simpson this year is they got about the best he could do.
0: Yeah. And I think we've all been excited to see Simpson get his opportunity as a starter and this upcoming season could be the opportunity yeah. for Cleveland. Right, you saying, Yep, it. 100%. Yep. Yeah.
1: All right, really good. Well, let's uh let's uh switch uh topics right now. We'll go on to talk about some skill position players. Uh you, you're the guest. You talk about who you'd like to talk about first maybe that we haven't spent too much time on so far. And especially if there's a 2024 concern.
0: Right. Uh let's start with Edwards. I think uh Disappointing to see Gus not be a vocal point in such a crucial game where the run defense of the Chiefs was not statistically good all year. And not having him in the 2024 future as of right now is tough just because he has a persona of our backfield, rough, tough, down your throat. I mean, he's going to get three yards falling. Um, It's going to be hard to replace that style. Uh, Not in the sense of having a power back, but just Gus is going to be hard because he's unique in his abilities. So tough to not be able to see him go all out this game.
1: Very, you know, he's been a a remarkably strange career. He's had obviously high yards per, per carry, all the way up through this year, he's been one of the best ones uh, out there with 500-plus carries. He had 501 carries entering this year. Now, with 198 carries, he had his biggest workload ever, had his best yardage ever, but his worst yards per attempt ever. Um, the thing that was nice about his season, he had a really good year as a receiver. So he had 13 targets for 180 yards, which is off the charts at you know almost 14 yards. a Might be over 14 yards, so 180 divided by 13. But anyway, uh, uh Looks like thirteen point eight maybe yards per target um, as a receiver is just fantastic for for a running back. And this is incredible now. I'm, I'm looking at this on on uh, PFR. He's at ten point one yards per target for his career now. Wow, <laughs> that's ridiculously high for a running back. <laughs> and and you know some of the things we saw this year, the eighty yard touchdown, obviously the eighty yard pass. It wasn't even a touchdown. Um, plays large into that number. But in in all those cases, he's doing exactly what Mark Andrews tries to do on those kind of plays, which is make space for Lamar to get him the football. Yep, and uh, did a great job of getting behind defenses, of of you know getting yards after the catch. But I think a lot of it was just getting behind defenders as extended plays were breaking down. And um, yeah, that's it's a really valuable asset. It's 180 extra yards doing that as a, in addition to the 810 he had as a as a uh, uh, rusher. Uh, it's a, it's a, it was still a great season, and and he ended up being one of Devoa's top backs in terms of success rate. A lot of those, the things that reduced his yards per carry were short touchdown runs, and you know he had 13 touchdowns this year, so y- you can see how that would you know cut into his yards per carry some, but that's okay. It, it didn't cut into his success rate on those plays.
0: Yep, and uh, it's going to be tough to see Gus go if that is the route that happens um it's i will be excited to see him have opportunity to be a workhorse somewhere else uh hoping that he does have the opportunity somewhere um selfishly hoping the running back market is stingy still and he doesn't get paid so we're able to retain him for a minimum amount of dollars i think that would probably be the best case scenario but um what would you what would you want to
1: pay him and what what, would you structure the contract
0: um, like three years four and a half maybe four four and a half total or four and a half average total okay and then with incentive close to nine
1: okay so i was gonna say two years and five million dollars and i would i'd be happy throwing incentives on on top of that i actually don't think he'll reach them Because the NLTBEs have to be more than what he did this year, so it it would actually be might be kind of difficult. But you could you could set up two years of incentives on that that would be um, that that could make it worth your while or make it hit work worth his while. His his position right now in terms of what his statistical ledger looks like doesn't really work out that well for him in terms of all of the running backs that are out there. Like if you see you know Edwards and his yards per per carry have been 5.2 5.3 5.0 5.0 4.1 if you don't understand what happened in baltimore this year in terms of trying to run out of 11 personnel and instead of the, the the 21 and 22 schemes he's used to running for his whole career mm. or you don't look at the goal line situation or you don't look at the receiving um, all of those are you know significant positives that you'd have to you'd have to tack on to to edwards and get the other team to buy into yep The Ravens understand that value, and they're actually, I think, they're the most likely team to pay him a higher percentage of what he's actually worth. So uh, you know, I don't think Dalvin Cook's going to get paid anywhere, by the way. I think he's going to have to start over from the vet minimum next year. So when you're looking about the running, it's it's a very tough place out there. J.K. Dobbins, another guy, I think he's going to have to start over at the vet minimum plus incentives probably, despite the fact he's still fairly young.
0: Wouldn't it be great if we get all these guys back? Just going to
1: camp. <laughs> I gotta want them to. I gotta have them play. I, do you think Dobbins has a chance to come back? Uh,
0: maybe not after this playoff performance. Because if he's complaining last year when we were going against Cincinnati about his workload, I can only imagine what's going to happen going into this year. So, I don't know if Dobbins is going to be willing to go back to Baltimore and give it another chance. I know the Ravens probably want him, but Dobbins himself, I doubt wants to try and have a shared backfield he's probably going to try and go somewhere where he can be the guy all right i th- I think i'd say i think you're right on most of that i think one thing i would say is
1: that i'm i think both sides might have soured on the relationship okay so the the and what it would what that would mean is if dobbins has done anything in terms of his rehab that is not according to hoyle the way the ravens wanted it done um then I think he's in a lot of trouble in terms of of being signed I think the Ravens had enough of those kind of players. With what happened to Bowser, you know, with with there's plenty of other players who fall into this in the cap. I'm not gonna we're not gonna take the time to name all of them. Um, but anyway, I think the Ravens wouldn't put up with that if it's a case of just uh, they think Dobbins, you know, fits like any number of other backs was. I think the Ravens are would be perfectly happy to take a chance, and they'd probably also be perfectly happy to take a chance on an undrafted back like Keaton Mitchell. Mm. Uh, and it won't be Keaton Mitchell this year. And there might not be an opportunity to, to have a priority UDFA who has as much of a ceiling as Mitchell had. Um, it's, it's very unlikely that that would actually be true, but the Ravens may have you know found a, um, a means to get cheap running back talent and they have to investigate every means they have to find cheap talent position by position. And I, uh, for for anyone out there, that, that wants to talk about signing this wide receiver, this running back, this linebacker, this whatever, you know, it's easy enough to say, I'd love to have, you know, Fred Warner playing next to Roquan Smith. And I'd like to have um, Jesse Bates playing next to Kyle Hamilton. And we can just release Marcus Williams to do that. And, you know, first of all, none of that makes any sense practically. Second of all, um, it, it can't make any sense cap-wise. So you, you, have to, you have to start by trying to figure out where you are not going to spend. So start by telling me, if you, if you have this great franchise idea, and I'd love to have a series of shows on this, tell me where you want the Ravens not to spend so that you can make this splashy move you'd like to make. All right. And you know, I want to give up on signing Justin Matabike because I want a new left tackle. I want to give up on um, you know paying money to uh, at, at safety, because I think we need to spend that money at corner. Um, you can you can do any number of those things are fine, but please don't don't tell me how we can sign a thirty million dollar wide receiver and just put it, <laughs> put it on the credit card. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, it's, just, it's it's, it's I, I I I yeah. So much of 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 what traffic goes on on Twitter is is basically about the 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 splashy big name. Fantasy Former football. star wide receiver who is now between 29 and 33 years old, who has suddenly become available because maybe he spent the entire last year injured.
0: <laughs> it's fantasy football online. I try not to listen to it. They just want to make it a big fantasy draft. So it's all good. I, uh, I think the Ravens have options at running back coming up this year. And yep. that's probably the last, the last position of their worries. So I'm confident in the running back room moving forward.
1: You think you think they let it get through to the bargain room time, which basically would mean that they let Edwards and Dobbins go out and figure out yeah. the market value, yeah, and then they and then they try and resign him. And even in the case of Edwards, you wouldn't try and resign him ahead of time.
0: But, I say uh, yes, yes to Edwards. Let JK see what his worth on the market. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I kind of think jk really needs to see that just personally i get that sense yeah i i also kind of feel like patrick queen needs to needs to see that exactly. as well he's he's gonna have to understand what his market value is and and i first of all for patrick queen's sake and certainly for the Ravens supplemental draft pick's sake yeah i i hope it's 110 percent of what he thinks it is for sure but when he says i'm not signing for 17 million over four years it should be more than that there's some sort of inner twitter exchange which related to that um I think he might not be in tune exactly with what the market is, and if, and hopefully he is. Hopefully he is. That's all I can say.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, maybe he's not watching his own film, but he <laughs> he makes splash plays. He does these things here and there, but to be consistent in and out there, I don't think Patrick Queen can be the guy to bear all the the weight at linebacker.
1: It'll yeah. it'll you know could be a, a team that has a Mike. That they already trust to run the defense. Mm-hmm, exactly. And I I don't know how many teams they ha- they have this, but but is not in the Roquan class. So he's somebody who's who maybe got signed on a little bit of a bargaining contract or or he's still on the first deal is is another possibility. You know, pair him up with a third year player who's already like Chicago, did, right? Uh, who is, he's on the second deal and he makes a ton of money. So right. I don't think he makes a lot of sense to pair right, right, up with Queen, right. but I mean, I'm looking for somebody who's cheap for for their team. So instead of spending the money at Mike, you spend the money at the trail player, mm-hmm. and and then Queen can provide you all kinds of value. And there are a lot of teams who are who are just stuck in in terms of who they've got, and bringing in a player like Patrick Queen will help get your fan base excited about the defense again. So yep. uh, you know, hopefully, he finds that that home and it's the it's the right place for him. Uh, let's see. How about, how about I pick a player? Ricard, I think his usage was a little bit disappointing in this game. We talked it a little bit at the first show. 15 snaps was all he got. You're not running the football when you don't have Patrick Ricard on the field, generally speaking. So uh, part of the Ravens being effective is they they combine a point of attack offense with misdirection. Uh, that they give you and and that is very difficult for a defense not to make a mistake and get themselves out of position on and so by not having Patrick Ricard on the field and not having him in the backfield a lot cuz he played in line some as a tight end um, it really means they they're not committing to the run in that sense so if 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 there was a way if there was if there was a manifestation of what I didn't like about the game plan um that, that was maybe most prominent it was the fact that Ricard wasn't on the field to threaten the run Um, as much as anything. You're not threatening to be multiple if you don't have Patrick Ricard out
0: there. Yeah, and as you mentioned earlier in the previous podcast, um, it was tough not to see those back-breaking plays, like we mentioned, having off-schedule plays to Ricard, and things of that nature. I mentioned uh, the should-have-been pick that Lamar threw to begin this third quarter. Ricard was wide open and that could have been able to get us jump started. And I personally want to see Ricard back for as long as he's able to be able to play at this level. I think he's a crucial part in the offense, not only in the run game, but he is a weapon in the past game. And I don't know why we don't use it to try and unlock everyone else. Cause just like when, Lamar gets running with his legs and he's passing at an efficient pace. It's hard to stop him. If you can get Ricard incorporated into the pass game, how do you stop that? Yeah, I I I think it it you know, it
1: creates problems for that defense. It creates things they're just not able to solve if you have him as an option out there. And it, it, you're right, it's a backbreaker when the fullback catches either does either of the things what he did in Seattle he catches a 26 yard play where there's nobody close to him or when he catches a five yard play there's nobody close to him and he run, runs over two people because exactly. he gets a full steady full head of steam and um I, both are both are great outcomes and and honestly you throw one of those in once in a while it, you completely get the defense to back off and do things differently and and unfortunately the Ravens really never put themselves in a position to to uh, do that and we talked a little about the two thousand twenty Tennessee game and how that was a that was a big turning point in the game at the beginning of the second half.
0: Yeah. Getting those plays where they're not expecting you to whether it either be Ricard or continuing to hit the running back in the flat or even hitting Kohler on that same kind of chip release concept, just hitting them where where they don't expect it is I think the key moving forward. But um good. I I, I want to talk about Mark Andrews briefly,
1: and we're we're kind of getting to the end here. But um, Andrews, 18 plays, 18 snaps in this game. They basically did not get out of uh, 11 personnel much the entire game. They did a little bit of 12 with Ricard, if you want to count him as an inline tight end. And then one of the guys, uh, Andrews, or likely either flexed or even in some cases in the backfield. But basically, Likely and um, Andrews were almost never on the field together. And so it, it, the, the times they were, it was like, I think the Lamar run play, they might've both been out there. Um, not a hundred percent sure about that. Cause it might've been Kolar, likely Edwards, Cleveland, Ricard. and Ricard. Might've been those five actually that were, that were out there on the field. Um, but they had five tight ends as they were lined up. <laughs> it was uh-huh. a, one of the most extreme formations you'll ever see. And very obvious what they were doing, but, but it, it was a, um, uh, uh, a, a game for Andrews that I think, they really limited his usage, obviously. And like Humphrey, we wanted those guys back so badly. I question whether either one of them was really ready at this point. Andrews was probably more ready, yep. uh, but likely was al- was already playing better. And so it was, it was a hard to in, – in the case of Humphrey, they could have really used some great cornerback play. And in particular, they could have maybe used him – as a slot they could have used him as nickel when they wanted to go to a standard nickel instead of having molette in there for example
0: yeah especially on that third down play i think that would have been the best place to put humphrey but that's
1: neither here nor there i think he, uh, he wasn't available at that point he was done for the game it was he played all the snaps on the second series of the game and then he was done i didn't even know that yeah played he actually missed the last three plays of the drive i believe it was but started that second drive and and uh after darby had started the game and then he was already done by the end of that series so it was a long drive 16 plays or something he he played about 13 of them
0: okay and i mean darby did great all day i didn't hear his name one time he he handled his side it was shocking to see stevens give up what he did on the other side but it's okay um Andrews, it was tough not to see us play the matchup game. I mean, if you're not going to throw it to him, at least have him be a decoy. Uh, Use him as the middle eater as he is. I mean, that's where he lives and dies is the middle of the field. If you're going to try and get your outside guys open, at least have the sense of imagery that you might throw it to this guy in the middle of the field. I just – I don't understand – The offensive mindset and scheme going into the game at all. I don't know if they just got. I don't know if they got scared out of their game plan due to the start that the Chiefs had, but whatever it was, it wasn't effective. And matching up scheme wise and matching up personnel wise. Yeah.
1: All right, Frazier. I think we're going to have to call it here. I actually looked in the mailbag. We don't really have anything. That is directly related to the offense for today uh, and part of that is my fault because I didn't put out the usual call for those sometimes we get them anyway but uh, but we didn't have to do this time I want to tell you how much I've enjoyed talking football with you this year it's just it's a it's a, always a pleasure uh, to get together with you uh, you know all those weeks of the matchup show which have, I think have just been really fun and, and good content and I'd love to continue that with you hope we can have you on during the off season for any number of the regular series we do in terms of looking at two players or uh positional reviews or whatever it might be but uh, we'll talk about that off air tell
0: folks right now where they can find you online and talk football I appreciate you Ken been a great year uh appreciate all the love and support that you've given me throughout the whole season People can reach me at Twitter slash X at F underscore R-A-V-E-8. That's F underscore Rave 8.
1: All right. Outstanding, Frazier. Other folks out there, you know where to hit me up if, if you want to be on a film study short. So I'm not going to repeat that, but DMs are always open. Just hit me up. What I do want to do is thank everybody. This is the last of the what I consider to be the main shows of the year, the Offense and Defensive Reviews. And season is not ending the way we want to, but as far as an, an audience goes, I couldn't have a more loyal set of listeners than what you people are. I absolutely love seeing it. If you want to go out to Spotify or one of the other podcast apps and see how many total hours you listen to and send that to me, I'd love to see it. Um, had some people who listened to 200 hours of content this year, and I'm just I'm overwhelmed by uh what a commitment of time that is and and uh uh you know happy that you guys are, are so loyal to this program and it, it means a lot to me uh try and uh if possible uh to if you're if you're a proponent of this show uh go out and find a, a new person or two who'd like to listen to it it does make a difference to us on this end and uh, uh we, we'd certainly appreciate it greatly uh The questions have been terrific this year. The interaction with people on Twitter has been at a very high level. Always really appreciate that. And I do want to hear from you. Always want to talk to new people about football and find that new group of people who will be the basis of the show going forward. Uh, You know, people come through the show often to get their start. Then they go off and do their own podcast somewhere else. Um, And then they, you know, move on to do other things. And, and uh, uh, sometimes you can only do this for a few years. It's not like anybody's making any money at this. So it's, this is just a a, a way to get started and a way to have fun talking football as somebody who really enjoys passionate football fans. So please uh, hit me up as the, with a DM, if you, if you'd like to be part of that. But Frazier, thanks again for, for uh, being such a good friend all year. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate you. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.